Hi, friends. Welcome to God Stories. I am your host, Cassie, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. This is where I have on my friends, both new and old, to share their God stories. From the big, aha, miraculous, life-changing moments to the ordinary, everyday moments that are oftentimes the very extraordinary, life-changing ones. My hope is that you're encouraged. My hope is that you're sometimes challenged. My hope is that you feel welcome and enjoy today's episode. Thanks for joining me for season two. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, I would love if you went ahead right now and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it. If you rate and review it, that's so helpful because then other people will know to check out my podcast when they come across it. I would love if you could do that on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Ty. Welcome to God Stories. Thank you. I'm so excited, guys, because I have my good friend Ty on today. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were just praying before this, and Ty and I became friends. I think it was a little over a year ago. I couldn't remember um, when I was driving to meet you if it was the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019. But either way, it was you know within the that time period. And like I told you, I was pregnant with Selah. I didn't know it yet when I met you. I loved you right when I saw you. Mm-hmm. I feel like we connected quickly. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went through a little bit of depression at the beginning of that mm-hmm. pregnancy. And you were really just a gift to me from mm-hmm. the Lord um, in that season. And I've loved getting to mm-hmm. be friends during the pandemic in mm-hmm. a weird way. But do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're going to make me tear up and cry already. And we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah. So um, Ty short for Tyler. And um, yeah, here in Houston, I've been here in Houston for since 2018. And man, God has just been, I mean, it's just, he's been on the move ever since I moved here. So it's been really it's been a really neat journey so far. So Yeah, he really has been. We're meeting in Brookshire at this place called The Hangar, which is really cool. When I met Ty, uh, she was a missionary in Greenspoint. If you're familiar with Houston, you know um, you might know Greenspoint. You lived in an apartment complex there as a missionary working for an organization called Eyes on Me, and you still work for them part-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also have your own ministry now called Misfits Ministry. But how did I just would love to know your story and how you got to this place? You love people really well and you love Jesus really well. And mm-hmm. I just want to know why, like, what, how, how did you get to that place of loving him and why do you care so much for people? So, if you could take us back <laughs> to, to Ty when you were little pre Jesus and what made you fall in love with him, I'd love to hear that. I feel like that's a really uh, almost like a broad question. <laughs> like there's so much to talk about that led me to get to talk to that led me to loving Jesus the way that I love Jesus. So I feel that I could be really long winded on that question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I um, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my mom and my dad divorced when I was eight. Um, we went to church, but just on like Christmas and Easter, and okay. that was never consistent year to year. Right. You know, yeah. some years we might have gone, some years we might have not gone. And so, um, but And that you were the was, only child, right? I was my mom's. I am okay. my mom's only child. Yes. Okay. My dad has seven kids. Okay. Yep. So, um, and they divorced when I was eight, and I remember that night like it was yesterday it was a pivotal shift in my and just kind of you know in my journey as an eight-year-old you know it was just it was a pivotal movement moment and um who did you live with after that I stayed with my mom okay Mm -hmm. yep so stay with my mom and uh, my mom was trying to work and raise me and uh, you know she had a really hard time doing that and um you know, I would just, you know, see my mom just like she was out a lot and not home very often. And, um, you know, I had babysitters a lot and, um, you know, it was just, it was a hard, it was a hard time as a kid, just trying to understand what was going on and why was all of this happening the way it was happening. And then my mom met my stepdad 
and they were just supposed to be roommates. Um, and he was a police officer. And so I think she was thinking as a police officer and him being a roommate and she would be, she would be feel safe and secure and all the things. And then, you know, about three months later after he had moved in, they got together. And then shortly after that, they got married. And my, um, stepfather was at the time a very, um, you know, we saw this unfold through the years. It wasn't something that we saw immediately or that my mom even saw immediately, but, um, you know, the mask starts to fall off and we, um, realized that he was actually a crooked and, and abusive police officer. And so that was really, that was really hard. Um, as I was going through my teenage years and, um, you know, he would come home from work and start drinking and just get really abusive and Towards you or your mom? Both. Both. Me and my mom both. Yep. Yep. And so how long were they married for? Oh. Was that the rest of your time living with them or with until you were 18? Yeah. Um, I can't remember how old I was when they actually divorced. Um, but I do think I had been out of the house by then. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So quite a long time you lived with them. Yeah. I would say, I mean, at least maybe 10 years. Something like that. So what did you do as a kid? So your parents divorce. It changes your world. Your mom remarries to this abusive police officer. So do you find comfort anywhere in that time under the roof? You know, what I say, um, what I've what I've come to understand about um, who I was then as a kid is, you know, I think every it's just in our inner being to want to be loved and to feel accepted and to be comforted. And, you know, I, I didn't receive that kind of love at home or that kind of support. And so, um, you know, a a lot of it was just quick to anger and critical and judgmental. And of course the abuse and all the dysfunction. And so that became what I knew love to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And so even, you know, as I would start, when I, when I started going to high school and negative attention was better than no attention, Wow. you know, and again, it was, you know, that was all that I really knew love was anyway. So if, if, you know, if, if I could get negative attention from a guy or, you know, whatever it was, then I would just cling on to that because I thought that that was what love is. So, Wow. And so then what happened in your life? So, um, barely graduated high school, um, literally had to beg the principal to let me graduate because I had skipped one too many days of school. And, um, and I told him if you don't let me graduate, my stepdad, the police officer is like, it's not going to be pretty. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think he could, um, he he knew <laughs> uh, just by, um, you know, me expressing that to him. And so he let me graduate. And um, and this was Louisiana, right? It was in Louisiana, yes. And I was just trying to think about, um, you know, I had, I had actually started using drugs in high school. While I was in high school, I was um, smoking weed. That's how it started. I was smoking weed. And then in my junior year, um, I started doing acid and then, um, it just kind of started to the drug addiction began to, um, increase or yeah, from there. So when I graduated, um, I had tried to go to college for like three weeks, but then I ended up dropping out because all I wanted to do was just party. Um, you know, I, I think that that became my outlet. Um, for feeling some some kind of happiness in my life so yeah and were you living with your mom still um I was in and out of their house um quite a bit but uh when I was 18 I did get my first apartment and I was working as a waitress and uh really started to get heavier into the drug addiction. And how long did that addiction last for? A long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it started when I was um when I was 18. Well, no, it started before then when I was in high school, but like I said when I once I graduated and everything and um the drug addiction um began to escalate. And so 
um, I would say, um, man, probably until I was about like 27 until the last, yeah, about till 27. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what did you do? So you were a waitress after high school. You had this drug addiction. So you dropped, so you dropped out of college, you were a waitress. And then what did you, did you, you were a waitress until 27 or Mm -hmm. you were? No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I, like I said, I was working in the restaurant industry and, um, that's a tough life too. It was, it was. And I uh, started dating this guy and he was uh, on parole and he wasn't supposed to leave the state of Louisiana. Well, his family was getting transferred. His sister was, her, his sister's husband actually was getting transferred to Colorado. And um, I decided he wanted to move with them and then he asked me to go with them. And so I did. And um, moved to Colorado with them, told my mom I was going on vacation to Florida or something crazy. And, um, I, at that point, that's when I started dancing in entertainment clubs is when I was with his sister. Um, it was me, him, his sister, her husband and their kid. And we all lived in one hotel room for, for six months. And, um, his sister had danced before. And so, you know, for her, it was just kind of second nature and I had never done it, but then that's when I started doing it. And, uh, of course with him, we were using drugs, cocaine now, um, ecstasy. And I couldn't, you know, I, 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 my self-worth was just stripping away, you know, and I couldn't, um, get on stage without being high or, being under the influence of some kind because I just was so ashamed of, you know, doing that. But, um, you know, it was all about the money at the time. And as long as I stayed high, then, you know, yeah, cause you're, I was just getting through it. So yeah, you were making a lot of money probably there and mm-hmm. that was keeping your addiction going. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then how you lived in Colorado for six months ish mm-hmm. and then you moved back to Louisiana Lived in Colorado for about six months, and then him and I had gotten pulled over one day, and they um, ended up finding out that he, who he was and that he wasn't supposed to leave the state of Louisiana. So they ended up arresting him and extraditing him back to Louisiana. So I stayed with his family, and um, he ended up getting transferred to ten- Tennessee. So I went to Tennessee with them. That was the year of Y2K. I don't know if you remember that or I not. I do. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, And I was there in Tennessee with them for several months before I decided that, you know, this was not, this was not the the path that I, you know, wanted to be down. And um, so I left and I went back home um, to stay with my mom and my mom and my stepdad, they were still together at the time. And um, I was just so lost. I was so lost, Cassie. I just, you know, just trying to find my my place in the world and, you know, everything that I was, you know, I mean, I just really thought that my life was coming down to being an addict, really, you know? And so... Um, so you didn't really have any hope at this point? I didn't. Yeah. Didn't have any hope, you know, didn't, didn't have Jesus, you know, um... And so at, at, at one point I decided to go to New Orleans cause I was back in Louisiana now. And so decided to go to New Orleans and start dancing in New Orleans off of Bourbon street. So I started doing that. Um, meanwhile, still using all the drugs and I was getting a hotel, a hotel room every night and then the economy went bad in the, um, in the clubs. And so I wasn't making as much money as what I had been used to. And so, um, then I started sleeping out of my car and from, cause I couldn't afford to get the hotel room every wow. night anymore. So I started sleeping out of my car and then from sleeping out of the car, then I would just sleep in the park somewhere in New Orleans or something like that. And so, um, and that went on for several months. And then I decided that, um, if I was going to live like this, if I was going to be basically homeless, um, that I wanted to, um, go to Florida and be on the water and be homeless on the water. 
Because um, you've always loved the ocean, right? I have, yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I uh, went into the club one day and um, and I just washed off, you know, with a rag. And I just remember these girls just making fun of me and mocking me. And, you know, I hadn't had a shower in days. And um, But I made, I don't know, 70 bucks that day or something. I don't, I don't even remember what it was. But it was enough to put some gas in my car and go to Florida. And I had no idea what part of Florida that I was going to. I just knew that I wanted to get there. And um, I remember seeing the San Marco exit. And so I got off on the San Marco exit. I was running out of um, gas. And I think I only had like a few dollars left. Um, And so um, to my name. And so I stopped at the San Marco exit and found uh, or I found a, a hotel room. It was an extended stay. So I went in and used their phone book. This was all before Google mm-hmm. near me. <laughs> um, found, Got a phone book and found the nearest strip club and went to that club and made some money and was able to get a hotel room that night. And that night I ended up meeting with some crack cocaine dealers. And they said, if you will drive us around, basically we will keep you supplied with dope. And so I thought that sounded like a good deal. So I did that. And, um, you I, met them just at the club or this was at the hotel room oh, you that met night. Them there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, which was like next to the club. Okay. And so, um, so you drove them around, drove them around for about a week and a half and just bringing them to all their hot spots, get their dope, whatever it was, drop off dope. And they were keeping me high. And, um, we got pulled over one day and, uh, the cop, uh, immediately, you know, made us get out of the car searched my car, found the paraphernalia, found the dope and arrested us. And I had already been arrested three times in New Orleans. And, um, each time my mom had bailed me out those three times. Also for drugs. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, I think I'm pretty sure the ones in New Orleans were all drug related. Um, a lot of this stuff, a lot of that stuff is kind of still a blur, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she, she'd bail me out those three times. And then when I went to jail the fourth time, I'm thinking no big deal. Mom's going to bail me out again. And she said, when I called her, she said, if you're going to live your life like this, I can't have anything to do with you. Wow. And so I didn't understand that tough love at the time. And so I sat in for about a week and a half. I sat in my time and when I stepped out of Jacksonville Jailhouse, I had nothing but the clothes on my back. I had no identification. I had no, um, I had no extra clothes. I had nothing. Um, they had impounded my car. Uh, I didn't know where they had ended my, my car to. Even if I did, I didn't have any money to, to get it out of the impound. And so I literally just started walking the streets from there. And I'm in, you know, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and I'm in this, you know. Um, and there, I'm missing some parts, I think, because I, you know, I was in Sam, I had just gotten off on the San Marco exit. Um, and I can't remember at what point, um, no, no, that's right. I'm, I'm on the right, I'm on the right track. I'm getting myself mixed up right now. But, um, yeah, so stepped out of Jacksonville jailhouse and, um, you know, just started walking the streets from there. Did you feel like in your in your story that this was rock bottom for you when you get out of Jacksonville jail and you have nothing but the clothes on your back? Did you feel like this was like the lowest you'd ever been? Absolutely. Like wow. I, I had lost all hope. Like I was completely hopeless at wow. that point. And it was, yeah. Um, I remember one of the times I had been locked up in this girl talking about prostitution. And so I thought, you know, I mean, if this, that maybe this is what my life has come to, um, maybe I'm just meant to be a prostitute on the streets. And so I, um, started walking and, um, is that what you did? You prostituted? Yep. Started, started, started prostituting to make money. And then every dollar that I made, I just turned around and spent it on drugs to, to get high and to numb the pain that I was in. So did you just not really care if you were going to get, you know, stopped by a cop again, put back in jail? That didn't, you weren't scared of that. No, no, I didn't. I mean, it, at that point, nothing really fazed me anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that where you met Jesus was in Jacksonville or how did, how did you get hope again or well, for the first time? Yeah. Well, um, that was, you know, when I, 
when I started prostituting and started, like I said, just, I was living on the streets and, um, I had met, uh, this guy that I was, when I was sleeping in, um, I was either sleeping in a park where I would find abandoned homes or homes that were under construction to sleep in at night, just so I would have a roof over my head. Um, and I remember at one point I met this guy that was, you know, known for a guy that was, I mean, he was on the streets. And so, um, who later got shot and died on the streets, but, um, he was asking why was I out in the park sleeping this one day? And I told him I don't have anywhere to go. And so he, he said that he knew of a home where these two guys lived and said that they would probably let me stay there. And so he took me to their home and they allowed me to sleep on the couch. And one guy was an alcoholic and the other one was a crackhead. And, um, and I was just so, I was so lost. I was so depressed. I was hopeless. Um, I really just felt like I was, um, a body taking up space in the world. And, um, and so one day the guys were gone at work and I had searched one of the cabinets and found some generic pain pills and decided the next day I was going to kill myself. And so when they got up the next day and they went to work, I barricaded all the doors, um, just in case, like I literally blocked the front door with the couch, the back door with the chair, I was so serious. I didn't want anybody to come home just in case during lunch and try to stop my plan of, of killing myself. And so did that. And I filled the bathtub up. And um, I remember sitting in the bathtub. I was thinking that I was just going to, you know, over D on these pain pills, overdose on the on the pain pills and then in hopes to just drown. And I counted, um, I think, 20 pain pills. And then I still took a few more after that. Um, and, uh, laid there for, you know, probably a good 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I don't remember how long it was, but it was a long time and never passed out. And then wow. I started getting so like just aggravated because my plan was not working. And so, uh, got up and then I had to move all the furniture back and it was, uh, it was, uh, a little frustrating, but, um, later I ended up passing out on the floor like an hour and a half later. Um, but, and then even while I, I was on the streets, um, you know, you know, in prostitution and putting myself in very dangerous places, I had a couple of guns held in my head. I was almost choked to death, choked to death at, at one point. And so, um, you know, I had faced, um, several near-death experiences and um also all throughout this time I was still I was being arrested and so I had actually been arrested 13 times in Florida and um you know another thing that I I don't talk about because I don't really know the time frame of it and when it happened but there was also times when I would be on the interstate literally walking and getting in a in a in a um in a trucker you know, in in the car, in the truck with the trucker, just trying to get from one place to the next, just lost, you know, having absolutely no hope in the world whatsoever. Um, but the last time that I was locked up, um, I, um, started reading, there was a Bible. I had gotten a hold of a Bible and it was just very plain English. It was like a prison Bible that was very easy to understand, very easy to read. And I started reading that and I know that it was in, during that time, I know that's when God began to restore my heart. Wow. Mm -hmm. I have goosebumps right now mm -hmm. because I love that God can literally, and he does literally meet us wherever we're at. If mm -hmm. we just like turn to him, you know, and he's always there with us. And I just love that about him. Mm -hmm. So he met you there the last time you were locked up. Mm -hmm. um, is that why, do you feel like that's why that was the last time you were locked up is because you got to know him there and he changed your life or what happened after you started reading the Bible then? Yeah. So, um, started reading the Bible, you know, he was restoring my heart, but I still don't think that in the moment I understood how real it was, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I had, called my mom and years had passed since I had spoken to her last 
And so I told her, listen, if I don't get right, I'm either going to wind up in prison for the rest of my life or I'm going to be found dead on the streets. Mm -hmm. And so she could hear the severity in my voice and she um, was still in Louisiana at the time and she had suffered through Hurricane Katrina. So God was really working on her heart too. And she ended up coming to visit me um, twice and she asked, you know, when I got out, if I wanted to move, she was moving to Oklahoma to be with her family. Um, and she asked if when I got out, if I wanted to move um, with her and, um, you know, work on our relationship and, and also with my family and everything. And so, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God and if it wasn't for my mom willing to give me that second chance, then I would have gone back to the streets and I, I wouldn't be here today. But, um, so, so she, um, came to get me when, when I got out and, um, and I was so like, just, I was so like, we hear the word institutionalized. And when you think of institutionalized, like, you know, I've actually looked it up and, um, you know, it's just, you know, like they, they tell you what time to get up and they tell you, make your bed and they, they tell you what time you got to eat and when you got to shower, like everything is, you know, but there's also like this, um, spiritual institutionalization that takes place, um, where like I was just spiritually like, yes, God was, was restoring my heart, but I, I think I was just spiritually dead for so long. Um, you know, and I, I like my mom tells me this story and I literally don't even remember it. Like I, I, I don't remember this happening, but we went to go eat pizza whenever we got out when she came to pick me up that last time. And, um, so the first place I wanted to go was eat pizza. And she said that I got my pizza and I sat at a completely different table by myself because I was just so, you know, I was so used to just being alone and isolated and I just would hover over my plate and I would eat and I would go back to my cell. And so, um, so she, you know, basically said, listen, you need to go to rehab. You need to see a counselor. You need to do something. And I'm like, I've been locked up for the past seven months. I'm not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, how about we join the gym? And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So we joined the gym. Um, That's so creative of your mom. That's I know. creative parenting. I like it. Yeah. 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 I give yeah, props to her on that yeah. for sure. Um, so we joined the gym and, um, my first visit in a gym, I was on the elliptical for about 10, 15 minutes, sweating it out, feeling good. But then I was like, man, I'm starting to feel a little dizzy. So I go to sit down on a machine and it ended up passing out. And I hit my, I hit my head on a machine next to the one that I was sitting on. I was knocked unconscious. And I remember waking up and, um, or I remember hearing this woman saying, um, don't move your neck, don't move your neck. And at first I was like, what radio station is this? Cause I had my headphones in and I opened my eyes and I realized, you know, what had happened. And there was literally a dozen people, you know, surrounding me and, um, they had to put me on a stretcher. They had to rush me to the emergency room. I had $4,000 in medical bills and staples put in my head and I hadn't even been out of jail a week yet. That was my first visit in the gym. Um, and so where most people would say, you know, that gym thing's not for me. Um, I knew that I was really unhealthy and that I needed to do something about it. So, um, started working at IHOP as a waitress, ma making really good money doing that. And eventually was able to hire a personal trainer. So meanwhile, while I'm doing that, I had also started going to life church in Oklahoma and rededicated my life to the Lord. So, um, at the time there was no one that was really, um, uh, discipling me, so to speak. So. You know, I was still, um, you said rededicating your life to the Lord. So you felt like before this point, at some point you had a relationship with him. Yeah, I guess I, I skipped over that part. When I was 12, um, a friend of mine had invited me to church and, um, I started going to that church and my mom would just drop me off. Um, and, um, and then pick me up, pick me back up. But I remember as a kid, 
asking Jesus to be my savior. But again, I didn't understand how real it was because I would go back home to neglect, abuse, dysfunction, all the things. And so there was nobody saying, do you understand what you just did? Do you understand the decision that you just made? Mm-hmm. And discipling you. And discipling that me even, there. Yeah. even as a kid or any of that. So, But I do believe that it was in that moment is when Jesus truly saved me. And that is why I was able to, like all those times when I was on the streets and the times that I had those guns held in my head and, you know, those near-death experiences. And even when I tried to kill myself, like I, I truly believe it was because Jesus was in me. Wow. And was keeping me alive for a greater purpose, even though I couldn't see it at the time. That's amazing. So you rededicate your life to him. Mm -hmm. 2007, I rededicated my life to the Lord. Um, Started working at IHOP, was able to hire a personal trainer. Um, And and then, you know, at some point of my journey with her, she said, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. You should look into it. So I looked into getting my personal training certification. And about a year and a half later... Um, I had my personal training certification and I just remember being in my car, just crying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe just a year and a half ago I was, you know, just getting out of jail and I was on the streets and I was an addict and all these things and in prostitution. And here I am now holding this certificate that I get to be a personal trainer, that I get to, I get to help people on their journey of health and fitness. And so it was, it was huge. Like it was another pivotal moment in my life. And, um, you know, I really just gave God all the glory for that because I remember when I got my personal training book in the mail, um, like it was this really thick book, you know, and I was so excited to receive it. Um, and I had just, when I got it, I just randomly opened it up. You know, we do that sometimes in the Bible and we're just like, God speak to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And so I did that in this, in this book and I just randomly opened it up out of excitement and then it lands, um, on the anatomy chapter and I see this word and I'm like, I'm not smart enough for this. Like, I can't do this. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce this word nonetheless, know where it sat, like what part of the muscle, where it sat. And, and, and I'm, I'm just not good enough for, I can't do this. I am not smart enough for it. By the way, that word is gastronemus, which is our calf muscle. I still don't, I've never heard that word. Yes. Yes. So, but I just truly like, and you can say it and you know what it is. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, but even even then, when I had gotten it, um, or when that when that when that happened, I was just so like, uh, I can't, I'm not good enough for this. And so, I remember just pushing it aside. But every day, God kept drawing me to it, and I would just write little. I would type. I was typing prayers to God at the time on a laptop, and I would just say, God, help me to understand what it is that I'm reading today. Help me to be able to soak it in. Help me to be able to retain this information. Help me to be able to apply it. All those, all those things, and. Um, Anyway, I went and took my test like a year later and I failed it. And about two weeks later, I went back and took it again and I passed it. And so again, it was all, it was all a God thing. Um, started personal training and um, still going to church. Um, but I was still like, I was still just caught up. I wasn't using drugs anymore, but um, I was still um, really struggling with my, my self-worth and um, and just really who I was because I was so ashamed of who I used to be. And so, and I talk about that, like even with all my tattoos, you know, I have originally long blonde hair and zero tattoos. Like that's, you know, if you would have seen me, I don't know. I've seen a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've seen the picture. So, uh-huh. You know, and when I started getting tattoos, you know, it was like first the right sleeve and then the left sleeve and then the legs. And, you know, in my mind, I would just begin to think if I could just cover my body in tattoos, nobody will ever recognize me for who I used to be, you know, wow. cut my hair off, started dying at dark because I just had such a self-worth and just a self-worth issue. Um, and uh, so, Yeah. I don't know where I was going with well, that. Well, I'm just thinking how did how did God walk you through that to show you your identity and show you who you really are in him? 
Yeah, it was it was a really long process, and I I realize now that I was I was saved, but I I was not yet set free. Um, so again, I was just still bound by just um, shame and guilt and condemnation, um, and so it was. I mean, it, like I said, it's it literally took years. So I. I rededicated my life to the Lord in 2007, but it really wasn't until like 2018, you know, because even though I was, you know, I was in Oklahoma and then I, I was personal training and then I left Oklahoma and then I went to Dallas and, and I was in Dallas. And when I was in Dallas, like when I was in Oklahoma, I was connected to a church body, but I was still not, um, walking with anybody really closely and, and, and really, understanding the word of God, everything that I was learning, I was learning it from just myself of yeah. reading and studying and stuff like that. Um, but, um, and then I moved to Dallas and then when I moved to Dallas, I never connected with a church body. I never found a good church home that I, um, that I felt like I was, you know, being called to, so to speak. Um, and so, but then that's when I started, um, competing so then I started competing in bodybuilding shows and, you know, now I look back at all the journey and I just see like, you know, how God was just like peeling one layer at a time, you know, off this onion. And, you know, when I think about just my self-worth and how I didn't have any for so long and then I started bodybuilding years later and I started feeling more confident about myself and, you know, started to like like feel like starting to gain some of that self-esteem and self-worth back, you know, mm -hmm. but then I got caught up in steroids for some time. And, um, then I couldn't even look at myself without being on steroids. And, you know, I was, so it was becoming more of a vanity thing of, man, I look good. I've got a six pack now and look at these muscles and I've never had this before. And so, um, I didn't know my body could do this, you know? Um, and then I just started really feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit about it because, you know, even though I like hadn't found a good church body, I was still, you know, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And so I was still, you know, I was very much growing in my walk with God at the same time that I was competing in all the things. Um, but again, the Holy Spirit began to convict me about that. And so, um, so, so I, I laid all that down, um, you know because I really just wanted to be able to look in the mirror and know that I'm beautiful just the way that God made me. And so, um, so got rid of all that, actually quit bodybuilding, um, and was working for a supplement company, uh, 5% nutrition and, uh, doing really well with them and was traveling all over the place and was actually like, you know, like really doing good for myself for the first time ever in my life, wow. you know, building relationships. Um, and how old were you? Do you remember at this point? Yeah, this was just like, you you're know. in mid 30s, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, just doing good for myself. And so, you know, starting to really gain some confidence and really, and, and I believe it was just in that is when I was beginning to um, really grasp like who I was, you know, and, um, God had given me this vision for misfit ministry. And really he gave me that back in 2010. Um, but, uh, anyway, so with the supplement company and then I decided, you know, um, I want to move to Waco because I had all of Texas and Waco was central to Texas and to everything that I was doing. And I have a friend that lives there. And so she connected me with someone that was building like these loft type apartments. And so I was going to move in, um, you know, rent price was great. Like everything was like looking so good and it was supposed to be ready in January of 2000, 2018. And, um, so I was excited about this move. Well, then it ended up getting pushed back to February. Um, and then it got pushed back to March. So I was living in Dallas and my place in Dallas had been robbed twice in December of 2017. And so I knew, especially after the second rob that I needed to get out of there. And so I broke the lease and I decided, and I, I told my, my, um, 
my workplace what was going on. And so I asked them, listen, can I just stay on the road for the next couple of weeks while I wait for my apartment in Waco to get ready? And they said, yes. So that's what the plan was. Well, then when the um, build out got pushed back to February, then I didn't have anywhere to go. And I knew I couldn't stay on the road much longer. Um, so I have some friends that live here in Houston and they said, you know what, just come stay with us while you're waiting for your place, you know, to finish, um, for them to finish build the build out. So I, so I moved with them, um, and never left. (laughs) You're still here. Yes. Um, and it was just so neat because in those three months, like God just started opening up all these doors where I started mentoring and speaking in the juvenile detention centers and going to these big galas with my friends. They were like, you know, bringing me to the, these tux and gown gala type events. And I'm just like standing in the middle of this while they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars in one night. I'm just like, how did I get here? You know what I mean? Like, God, how am I here? And so after some time, my friends were like, you know, why would you move to Waco? Just move here to Houston. And so I started looking for places in Houston and everything was either way over my budget or it was in the hood. And uh, <clears throat> I ended up finding this condo in Lake Conroe and um, fell in love with it. And I remember looking out into the water and I audibly heard God in my spirit say, this is your home. Wow. And so I turned to my realtor and I said, okay, this is it. I want to rent this place. So we went through the process. A few days later, she calls me and she says, I have good news and bad news. Good news is you got approved for the rent. Bad news is the owners decided they wanted to sell it. But don't worry, they'll, they'll honor your, your lease for you and they'll give you 24 hours notice when somebody's going to come in and look at it. And I said, why would I want to move somewhere to have to turn around and move back out? Like, I want to get somewhere and get settled, you know? And then I was like, God, you told me this was my home. Like, why, why is this happening? And so um, I called my mom out of frustration. She said, we'll see if they'll do like a rent to own. And so I tried that. They said, no, but we know a good lender. And so I ended up going through the application process and I got approved to buy my first home. And so, which is a big deal. It was a huge deal because when I was so like when I was on the streets and when I was homeless on the streets, like I didn't even have toilet paper to use the bathroom. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you never dreamed to be at um, a homeowner. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, like it was such a big God thing that I and I knew it was something only God could do. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So meanwhile, all this is happening, and one day I'm scrolling on Instagram, and um, and I saw a video of my youth pastor. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh. So that was another part that I that we didn't get to get to in my story when I had moved with my real dad for a little bit and started going to a Pentecostal church. But so this was the youth pastor that I had seen uh, or that I had gone to when I was at that Pentecostal church. And I had seen him on Instagram here 16, 17, I don't know, maybe 20 years have passed. And he looks almost the same from what I remember when he was my youth pastor. And you recognized him right away? Yes. Wow. Yep. And so I clicked on his page because it was just a random video, literally just popped out of nowhere on my on my oh Instagram my feed. And so I went on his page and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Pastor Jeremy. Like, that's him. And so I messaged him uh, right away and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but, and I just was like, and he said, yes, I remember you. I baptized you. Wow. And so that was really just that within itself was another God connection. Um, So, I mean, Pastor Jeremy is here in Houston um, and he's pastor, um, a senior pastor of over Hope City, which is the one of the fastest growing churches in America. So the fact that we were once in Louisiana and then all of a sudden here I end up in the same city and state as him, you know, it and was And he just, had recently started that church probably by the time you saw that video. It had only been going a couple years, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how long they had started Hope City. I know he was somewhere else prior to, but yeah. yeah. So yeah. he started going there. Started going there and... Um, um, they asked me, so every Easter they rent out the Berry Center, except for obviously last year because of COVID. And I don't know that they're going to do it again this year, but, um, in 2019, they had rented out the Berry Center and they had asked me to share my testimony. And it was just a very short, like hit the low, hit the high. Um, and so I did, and it was live at all four services and the executive director for eyes on me happened to be at one of the services. And so after 
the service, he came up to me and he handed me a card and he said, hey, we got to connect. And so um, later I looked and just was completely on board with the vision of Eyes on Me and everything that they do for the community. And so met with the executive director that week and a month later I was on board with Eyes on Me started working as a missionary, ended up leaving my condo, rented it out and ended up moving into the hood, which is ironic that I, you know, ended up like purposely moving into the hood as a missionary. Um, And so, and I was with them for about a year and a half. And um, yeah, you were a missionary in, in Greens Point for a year and a half. Yeah, well, yeah, I was Probably I was there. I was in Greens Point for a year, but I was with Eyes on Me for a year and a half. Okay. I was in Fifth Ward prior to, but I wasn't living there. So, um, yeah. And then COVID happened, and you know, we all, you know, know about that struggle <laughs> yes. of COVID. You know, but um, during that time, um, God just started um, really shifting things. Um, where I was and as a missionary and just knowing that I was, he, he was calling me out of that, but not really understanding yet just where I was going to be going. And, um, I just want to say too, when you were a missionary in Greens Point, I got to deliver food with you. Mm-hmm. This was at the beginning of COVID, um, to the residents because they, I'm trying to think when we did that or why we did that, but it was just because why did we do that? Um, I'm forgetting. Yeah. Well, it was just low-income families, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we blessed them with food. But I, mm-hmm. what I wanted to say is that I loved seeing you with the residents there and knocking on the doors, and they all knew you and loved you and just saying, you were saying, we come in the name of Jesus, and it was just so cool to see you like that. Oh, thank um, you. And it's amazing that you said yes, because to, to me that sounds like it could be scary to go back into a situation. Yeah, you're not on the streets, but you know, it, it might've reminded you of that at some point. I don't know. I know you went without a shower for six weeks living in those apartments. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's amazing. So you were saying then God was calling you out of that at the end of 2020. Yeah. So, and then, uh, he was saying it was time for Misfits Ministries to launch. And so he opened up, um, just started opening up the floodgates for me to be able to step into the calling of what he, um, had had planned for me long ago yeah so. put that on your heart years ago yeah and that's what you're doing full-time now yes which is just incredible i want you to talk a little bit about misfit ministry but before that i think it's so cool how earlier you said it was like an onion and him peeling back the layers and he really was working on your self-worth and it was your body and he was showing you uh, what he sees and mm-hmm. and your mind and your spirit and just targeting all parts of you and showing you the truth and and speaking that to you since you hadn't heard it and hadn't believed it mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that. And I love what you said too about Pastor Jeremy Foster and how, I mean, how God works. It's incredible. The the, the little that you did hear about God when you were a kid, um, uh, the pastor that you heard it from is now your pastor all these years later. It's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. So tell us about Misfit Ministry and what you do full-time now. Yeah, so Misfit Ministries is um, we empower, equip, and encourage women. Um, originally, the vision started off, or the mission started off, for women that are or have been incarcerated, how to live a healthier lifestyle, physically, spiritually, mentally. Um, but as God was opening up these doors, um, which is here in January, um, and we are in one, I say we, it's me, but I can't do it alone. It takes a body of believers and people and yeah, my fiance and, and all donating. that. Yes. And so, um, but, um, we're in one transition home. We're in a sober living home. We're in, uh, a faith-based rehab program and then also a teen mom home. And so all of all, but one of those homes, none of those ladies have been actually physically incarcerated. They've been incarcerated by the mind, but not actually in prison, the transition home in Livingston, all those girls are coming from prison. But, um, so, and that, that's what it was is he was just showing me like, you know, don't limit it to just women that have been incarcerated. And so it's really just, you know, for women that have felt like outcasts in their life, that have felt like they're a misfit, you know, due to incarceration, homelessness, sex trafficking, trauma, whatever it may be. Um, and so I go into these homes and, um, 
and uh, take them through a one hour workout that intentionally taps into all three elements of body, mind, and spirit. But I've also now incorporated Luke 252, which is Jesus grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and also with man. So stature is physically, um, he grew in wisdom. Obviously that's mentally, he grew in favor with God that's spiritually and then in, in with man and that's relationally. And so really wanting to, um, you know, cause relationships are a key to life. And so, and when you come from places like I've come from, from the streets and being so isolated and being so alone, um, you know, relationships is really what's kept me, uh, it's, you know, kept me going throughout, throughout the years. And so, um, so I'm just excited to see what God's going to do through all that. It's awesome. I love that he, and you've said this before, is he used to be a misfit and mm-hmm. now you're misfit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how he gave you the vision for the ministry. And I love that like he brought you through that and restored your mind and your body and your spirit. And now you're from a healthy place where you're able to do this out of overflow for other people, just love for them and showing them their worth and Jesus. And I just that's love right. that. So we'll put in the show notes the, your website link okay, and um, probably eyes on me too or something like that. That, but because mm-hmm. people can help and be a part, like mm-hmm. you said, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I yeah. know there's so much to it, and you just shared um, you shared so much too. And I just love everything that God's done in your life, and how you love Him so much and so well, mm-hmm. and are just willing to say yes to whatever He calls you to. If it looks glamorous, if it doesn't, you do. And I just, I love that. And it's rewarding because it's life with him and he rewards his children. And so I know that he's going to bless this ministry. Mm. I know he's going to do amazing things with it. And I'm just excited to watch you and to watch it grow. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. And so the fun question I told you Mm -hmm. I like to ask all of my um, guests are if you could sit down with someone from the past or present and hear their God stories, who would it be and why? I would say uh, my brother here, Ryan Orban, uh, he has a really powerful testimony um, as well, just what God has delivered him from and what he's overcome in his past and what God is doing through him now and through the hangar here and through the ministry of Eyes on Me. Um, so yeah, and he's right here. So you could ask him if he would <laughs> join you on the podcast. Sometime. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes. It'd be great to meet him. So yeah. I'm sure you've gotten to hear some of his God stories. And yes. It's incredible. Yeah. So just to get to hear more. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Ty. Yes. I love you, friend. I Thanks love for you. being on today. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>